everyone. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing in life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That is true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. You can find Author Magazine at authormagazine.org, and we are funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. To learn more about the PNWA, go to pnwa.org. Yeah, another great conversation. Christine Wells, Australian historical fiction writer, started her, learned her chops in the romances, but moved over to historical fiction, had a great conversation about history and just about her own uh her own very interesting writing journey. She's a, she writes, like I said, historical fiction featuring strong, fascinating women. Uh, from early childhood, she drank in her father's tales about the true stories behind popular nursery rhymes. And she has been a keen student of history ever since. She began her first novel while working as a corporate lawyer and has gone on to write about periods ranging from Georgian England to post-World War II France. She's a pas- she is passionate about helping other writers learn the craft and business of writing and enjoys mentoring and teaching workshops whenever her schedule permits. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool woman. Great conversation. And I'm glad I get to share it with you now. Enjoy. Okay, Christine Wells here with us. Christine, how are you doing? I'm well, thanks, Bill. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. You know, we were just joking. Uh, you know, I, I tell you, my secret, my secret, Christine, to doing a great interview is minimal research. I don't, I, and I know not just because I'm lazy, but I find if I have, I don't want to know too much. I want to learn about you as I'm talking to you, if that makes sense. But uh, you're. Uh, you your books by Christine Wells listed two other books and include in, in addition to the Royal Windsor Secret. But in fact, we are talking about book number sixteen. Yeah, yeah, that's correct, Bill. And it's and it's historical fiction, top to bottom. Yes, it is. I uh, I've jumped around a bit. I've done a bit of historical romance, and I've published in Australia. You can probably tell from my accent that's where I'm from. So, uh, yeah, it's book number three for this particular publisher in the U.S. Right. So, yeah. But book number sixteen. You know, but who cares? Who cares about book number three with William Morrow? Lovely publisher. But you know, your life. You've penned <laughs> sixteen of these things, and all in the historical uh, fiction. However. Prior to that, I don't want to pigeonhole you. You are unique. You are the only Christine Wells, but I will tell you, you are not the only lawyer who has decided to (laughs) take up fiction writing. Uh, Were you a writer while you were studying the law? Were you secretly writing or what, what was the, how did that all come about? Uh, I think if I'd started writing while I was studying law, I would never have finished my degree. So mm. uh, I, I, I had a bit of a hiatus, but I did begin writing my first novel when I was a, a young lawyer. So I, I didn't last too long in the law. I think I was there about five years and then I uh, stopped and, and started writing full time. And so were you, but was, I bet you were just a voracious reader. You were just, you had your nose in a book when you were a girl. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we this was back in the days when you had library cards and we had a limit of four books per library card. So I used all of my parents' library cards and it belonged to three 
other libraries. <laughs> and so wow. I was always, always reading. Wow. Yeah, really and cool. when, and so, okay, so you're reading, reading, reading. And did you read, what did you read? Like, was it historical stuff or was it all kinds of things? What were you reading? Oh, it was all kinds of things, but really from an early age, there were historical novels that I loved and uh, I was obsessed with Elizabeth I and things like that. So, oh. so yeah, really, it, it's been an interest all my life. Now, you're part of the United Kingdom, uh, technically, are you not in Australia? I mean, still sort <laughs> no, of. No, 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 <laughs> still, Well, you're sort of, okay, but you're sort of, you feel some connection to, you must feel more of a connection to that than Americans. Ours, we... We sure. were so mad we got out. But so do you feel Absolutely. some sort of, I don't know, connection in that way to the British? Yeah, I mean, I grew up, I think we, I was about seven when they changed the national anthem from God Save the Queen to <laughs> Advance Australia Fair. So, you know, we'd stand on parade every morning at school and listen to God Save the Queen. So and and there was a portrait of the Queen up in all yeah. of our school. Right. Um, yeah, so so we were brought up on that kind of tradition and as a child watching Princess Diana's wedding, I mean, yeah. it was just a fairy tale that sadly yeah. was not a fairy tale, but at the time I think that really, it was a huge... That had an impact on you, huh? Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, so you're reading this stuff, but at, and you go to law school, but were you? when did you first write your own stories? Were you writing little childish stories when you were a girl did you wait a little while to try that oh no I always loved writing stories and uh I I think I got a bit I thought authors were these you know godlike creatures who every oh. word they penned was perfect and so I never really aspired to be an author until a bit later when I really thought well I'll, I'll just give it a try and then I just I was absolutely hooked and me being me, I had to be published. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, enough. nothing yeah. wrong with that, but okay. So you had the standard view, which is typical for a lot of people, which is in fact, I was just writing about that this morning, which is, well, they're not real people. <laughs> they're not just <laughs> people for God's sakes. What's that about? And so it's, and, be, and you know, what's interesting about that, Christine is because you know, you are a person <laughs> and you know, what you have know all your foibles and all your you know errors and and you can't imagine that right but lo and behold so you got you grew up a little bit you grew up a little bit you gotta you were a lawyer which is not nothing I mean you gotta like put your work in to do that right I mean yeah, sure. yeah. right so you must have had some, and so you picked them you got hooked so describe getting hooked what was that like because you know young lawyer you're busy right I mean they keep you they work you pretty hard don't they they do. And uh, I was just, I was not sleeping, basically, because I was, <laughs> and I was uh, newly married at the time. And oh I think that's, God. that's when my husband decided to suggest that maybe I'd like to write full time, because he, oh, yeah, really, so, he, um, didn't he like your lawyer's income contributing to the household? <laughs> I think he was quite happy to have somebody doing all the domestic stuff at home oh, as well as the writing. Strategy. <laughs> quite honestly. Okay. All right. Well, okay. It was a bit of a trade-off, put it that way. No, no. It wasn't it wasn't the domestic stuff. He wanted your company. He wanted your company. That's what Yeah, it was. absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Your charming company. <laughs> Couldn't have all right. So you got hooked. You got hooked right away. Yeah. And hooked was just what 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 part of it hooked you? I know it may be hard to differ, but what was it just getting lost in it? Was it the the what was it to you? 
Ah, uh, it was. It was hours would go by and I was just immersed in this world and it was all, it was like a movie that was in my mind or something that was going on already without me and I just had to tap into it and it was just this, I think it's quite addictive really that people call it flow, you know. That, that's what that's I call what, it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that's the best part of writing I think is getting into the flow. Yeah, so Describe one of the things I do sometimes. I teach a class called Fearless Writing, and I tell them because not every there are people, not you obviously, but who really struggle with the emotional. They they get blocked, they worried, and you know and so on. But one of the things I have them do is I say write a description like it's a scene in a book for when you're really in that flow state. And what's interesting is it's always the same description, kind of you know, yeah, like yeah. how would you how would you describe right. if someone if you said oh I write them in the flow. And someone said, what are you talking about? You're just sitting at a desk making stuff up. What would you say to them? What's it like? It's just like your physical surroundings just melt away and you're in the story and uh, people can talk to you and you won't hear them. Things can, I, I can be in a crowded coffee shop and just not even. Do you write in a coffee shop? Is that where you like to write? I, I do. Well, I don't do it a lot because, you know, ergonomically it's not, that healthy for right, you but right but i do really enjoy it i i find i can get into the flow if i'm having trouble because i do i do actually get blocked sometimes i'm i'm not always in that in, yep. in that zone uh i i'll go to a coffee shop and for some reason it just if i'm there with somebody i know i can't do it i want right. to talk to them no, but no. if i don't know anybody and but there's a lot of bustle around i can yes do it. Maybe the white noise. I, I thought about, I didn't think I could do it. I went for a time where I would go away and write these essays in, in a coffee shop. And I was like, oh, I like this. And there was something about yeah. the energy. It it didn't distract me at all. Just the opposite, strangely. No, exactly. And and it's funny because I, there's one coffee shop I go to quite often. And uh, so somebody asked me, I, I, are you Kate Morton? <laughs> you know, because <laughs> Kate Morton's a very famous author who lives in my, or used to live in my city. I think she lives in London now. But uh, I said, mm, I, I wish, but no. <laughs> she said, no, I'm Christine Wells, even better. <laughs> okay, so book number one. So you got to get published. Okay, yeah, no problem. Uh, was it historical fiction? Did you start right out with that? Or did you do romance? Or are you doing thrillers or... Yeah, I started out with historical romance. So mm -hmm. uh, in Australia, as in the US, there's a huge community of romance writers and oh, they're yeah. extremely professional. Uh, I was very impressed because the first conference I ever went to, the president was a lawyer like like me and um, and she got up and really showed me how professional these women were well, mostly women at the time. Uh, uh, and I think uh, that's still the case. <laughs> I yeah, believe that's yeah. still the case. Not entirely, but. So so they just seemed, because it was early days of the internet and all, you know, there's a lot of information out there now, but at the time there wasn't. And it just seemed like this organisation had a pathway to publication. And because oh. I loved Regency historicals, but I, I sort of, I was really writing in the traditional kind of George Ed Heyer, Jane Austen kind of yeah, yeah. style, which wasn't so popular. So, uh, yeah, that was, and I started winning contests and then I got uh, an offer from one of the um, editors who judged the contest and then I 
didn't take it straight away. I did uh, the smart really? thing. Oh. No, I said, uh, give me a minute. And I phoned all the agents I'd been querying over there. I had an agent. Uh, she sent it around to all of the other houses. And then I had an offer from Berkeley, which wasn't actually the uh, offer I started with. So, See? Oh, um, man. See, yeah. if it had been me, I would have just said, yes, yes. I guess <laughs> yes. as a young pup, good for you. Oh, you see, I think you had your lawyer's hat on. I just think sometimes <laughs> working in the law just makes you a little strategic. Okay, so off you go. So that's kind of, it's a kind of Regency romance, but I would not describe the Royal Windsor secret. It has romantic elements, but it's got a different giddy app to it. It's more traditional historical fiction. And I got to say... I don't know if this is true. This is your first book of yours I've read, but you, I mean, it's like historical with a capital H. You're blending a lot of what is real uh, with a little, a little bit of fiction, but I mean, you're really drawing upon that. So talk to me about it. Cause there's a lot of fascinating details. Some of which I knew, some of which I didn't know, but every, but this is what it, everything you detail, you, you spooled out. I thought, I wonder if that's real. Now, is that what, what, cause I couldn't tell at all. So Talk to me about that blend because you have a love of what actually happened. Yeah, I think that as I was writing the historical romance, I got more and more interested in the historical side of it and the, the woman's journey and less yeah. less towards the romance part. So it just was a natural progression to, to go into this kind of historical fiction. Uh, and I think, the, the joy for me is to be able to write about real things that happened but put the reader in the people's minds and and follow their emotions and, th- you know, w- which fiction can do yeah. so much better than nonfiction most of the time. Yes. I mean, there are really great narrative nonfictions as well, but uh, I think fi- there's nothing like fiction for really transporting you into the place that you're... You're, you're, you're limited... About. Um, I know Eric Larson, uh, who's the American nonfiction, but he really writes, he wants it to be as, he doesn't want to put anything down that he can't verify, you know, mm-hmm. in writing. Mm-hmm. And you don't have, if, if you're, once you give it that nonfiction label, unless it's memoir, like, which is what I do, I can, no one will be able to know really, but, but you, you can't take any flights of fancy. So you can blend as much as you want, which is, gives you just, that's a nice luxury to have. Yeah, and I always have an author's note at the end to explain what's real and what's not. But in The Royal Windsor Secret, it's uh, some of the more bizarre occurrences actually did happen. It's, <laughs> it's a weird world you've happen. discovered, man. It was such <laughs> an interesting world of the courtesan. I mean, the courtesan, is that the word that you were using to describe yeah. the, yeah, the courtesan, yeah. which is, I, I don't know if such, I guess they sort of exist in the present day, but it was certainly a thing of that time. Um mm fascinating fascinating stuff and of course that hotel so um a certain amount of it's set in this unusual egyptian hotel or that is drawn upon again I, I didn't know about it now if i was a historical buff would i have known about that hotel uh you might have if you you've read some some of the mysteries set there there's a great series called amelia Peabody mysteries and she's an oh, archaeologist yeah. and yeah I, I think but you know a lot of people didn't know about it and it, it's actually the first luxury hotel in the world uh really the, really yeah so all royalty from Europe and uh it was very fashionable to go and have your winter in Egypt especially <laughs> when 
Tutankhamun's tomb was discovered and everybody right. wanted to go and see it. Uh, so actually the Royal Windsor Secret is about a girl who grows up at this hotel and she comes to believe that she's the secret illegitimate daughter of Edward VIII. So she goes to Europe, England and France in search of her real parents. She finds this French courtesan who says, yes, I am your mother and your father is Edward VIII. So this is, this is the story. This is, this is what it's about. Does the hotel still exist or has it been bombed to smithereens at this point? Uh, well, it's a bit of a spoiler, but it's no longer existing. Oh, okay. Let's not, let's not, let's not get it. <laughs> there so, is a Shepherd's Hotel, but it's not the same building. Right. Um, so one of the things about romance, which has borne so many careers, I know a lot of romance writers, and but the thing about romance and, and genre in general is there is an expect a narrative expectation, and you kind of got to stay in a you got to stay in that lane because that's what the reader expects. And it seems to me when you move into this kind of story, you have a little more flexibility. It's probably going to turn out, well, you don't know it. Like there isn't such a an, an expected ending necessarily. Does that make sense? Did you feel you had a little more wiggle room in that if you wanted it when you shifted a little bit? Yeah, it, it's a funny thing that people often think that a happy ending makes the book less valuable somehow. Uh, why? I, I don't, why? Why? I, why, Christine? I don't agree with that, but I have had tragic love affairs that yeah. ended tragically, and you can do that in historical fiction, whereas you can't do it in historical romance, obviously. Uh, and, I, yeah, I think with structure you can play around a lot. Uh, you can have dual timelines. You can have... Uh, the same characters in both timelines or different ones. And yeah, it, yeah it's, it's an interesting, it's difficult, <laughs> but, it, but it's an interesting way, way to write. I'm really enjoying doing it. Yeah. What? Uh, so, okay. This came out in September. Um, so what do you do in terms of when you're aside from talking to people like me, just in terms of the actual average readers, how do you communicate with them? What is your, do they just, email you or do you go to bookstores still like what are you doing to meet the fans christine i do a mixture of all things uh i i have a newsletter list and i often get email from my readers you know telling me they love the books or asking me questions uh and then i'm on facebook and instagram uh, I also do in-person events, but yeah. usually in, in in Australia. So my right. book comes out in the US and it comes out in Australia separately. Uh, and the publisher here, HarperCollins Australia, will do all the publicity. So I have a few events and podcasts and articles yeah. to write and all of that sort of thing. So I do a mixture of everything. <laughs> right. Do you like it? Do you like that part of it or is it just okay? You know, I love... I love speaking in public. I love meeting readers in person and I really enjoy podcasts and I would like to do less of all of the other stuff. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> uh, yeah. But you like teaching too. You, uh, you, you, when given the opportunity, I understand you enjoy a little, Yeah. and do you go to like, do you do like convention type stuff? Where do you tend to, where do you, where do you teach when you do it? Yeah, it's uh, conventions. We have writers' festivals here. Sometimes yep. I'm asked to give workshops. Uh, we have writers' centres uh, in mm -hmm. each state. 
I do things for them, uh, libraries, what else? Yeah, so Romance Writers of Australia, I often I often give. Uh, what do you like to teach? To What's your favourite thing to teach? Uh, I love teaching about character arc because I think that's something that writers really struggle with. I, I've yeah. been asked a lot to do pacing because that's another tricky, tricky thing. Um, and I, I really love doing, I, I have this workshop I call the power of premise and it's all about brainstorming your ideas and then coming up with a rock solid premise that you can write from and market with. And, you know, if you can do that at the start, it can take you right through to, to the, this, this stage. Where this, so you, so this is your sort of pre-writing work, your understanding like what, cause you don't, so are you an outliner? No, uh, well, I am. A, I have to be a little bit for historical fiction. I like okay. to have the signposts where you know right. this event actually yeah, occurred, yeah, yeah. and I but write you around went, but, that. But you just find your way from post to post. Yeah, I I do, and then but I everybody plans. It's just at a different stage, so yeah. I go back then and I look at my structure, and I'm I'm quite good at working out wherever you know what the points are and where it needs fixing and so I do that for other people too so um, what is in the so when you when you talk about establishing the premise before you launch in how much is in that like what like how much do you know before you start like for this book how much did you know about the Royal Windsor secret before you actually said all right Marguerite and her jewels like what is it what <laughs> where what did you actually know before you began uh, well, I always have to write about a one-page synopsis to actually sell the book to my editor. Right. Uh, okay. But you could so, write that. But wait a minute. You know yeah. what, Christine? Couldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> couldn't you write that up and then write a very different book, and they'll never remember? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. They, don't, they don't check. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think I, I definitely I knew the opening, and I knew that I wanted to set it in Shepherd's Hotel. Okay. I knew about. Marguerite, a courtesan, and that she was going to be probably the um, the antagonist of the story, basically. And uh, Cleo, who is made up, I wasn't so clear on, uh, and I knew that she was going to be young at the start. I had to I had to work out the timing because the affair that actually really did occur right, between you have the courtesan. To right yeah, yeah schedule yeah. It all out yeah so 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 but i i didn't really know what her journey would look like i didn't know that jewelry would be such a big theme and motif of the book uh because a courtesan as a courtesan marguerite really built her wealth based on jewelry because she didn't get paid by men she got given jewels uh as payment for her companionship it was all you know very polite kind of right. thing and then she would sell some of them to live uh so she was obsessed with her jewelry uh Cleo wanted to be a jewelry designer and that came later because I thought well Cleo's looking for her parents but she really needs something to do in the meantime you know you she spends years searching right. so uh, so that gave a real shape to it. And then there's Wallace Simpson, who was Edward VIII's wife, right. who was given all of these amazing jewels um, by him. So you knew, so you, so you knew kind of the setting, 
Mm. And you knew what you wanted to explore. Did you know you wanted to have a character? I'm, I'm just sort of interested in how much, because one of the things, you know, when I teach writers, one of the things I impress upon them is professional writers actually know a lot less than you think in order to start. Like they don't actually know everything. They just, they yeah. learn a lot as they sure. go, but they have to know something. So did you know you wanted to be this girl's journey to find her parents or did that come later? No, I, I think I knew that because this was the the whole premise and the hook of the Okay, that was the, the premise then. Because I yeah. think, oh, I want to explore this time and place and these courtesans and this, and then I'll find the story around it. But you had the, the character arc before you started. Well, you know, it was it was a bit illusory. I actually got the idea to set a book in Shepherd's Hotel a lot earlier than this mm. and I proposed a story that was completely different from this one uh, to my editor so uh, it, um, it it was a case of Shepherd's Hotel who who can I write about who stayed at Shepherd's Hotel right and I was I wanted to do Josephine Baker but then sure. the, the own voices, was an issue and they said oh. no you really can't write from her point of view uh. and I thought yes okay uh, I understand that so and so I was looking for women and then I thought oh hang on uh what what royal British royal person had been out there because of course the British were heavily involved in the government of Egypt at all different stages and so I I thought oh Edward VIII probably was out right. there and right. then I you know Edward I was searching Edward VIII Egypt stumbled upon this woman Marguerite Farming who had had an affair with Edward VIII and had stayed at Shepherd's Hotel so that you, that's how that, just fell that in came about. see if you're historical you got to like researching if you're an historical writer yeah. see, but I but it seems to me if you like you that the research you kind of hope is going to be fuel for the story itself, that it's, you don't just need it for the details, but it'll inspire the imagination, right? As the connection. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It strikes me if you write historical fiction and if you're a woman and you want to write stuff that obviously were female protagonists and you're writing historical, that means you got to set it probably before 1950 at this point, although 50 now is historical, I think, <laughs> I think we go, but if you set it before then, right. Well, uh, it's funny you say that because that used to be the case and, now we're seeing historical fiction set in the 1970s. As, oh, stop as saying this to me. Quiet. <laughs> no. Oh, God. Okay, fine. That's history. Okay. Okay. I accept. Yes. So it, it did It did actually used to be, you know, it, oh, no, uh, after the World War II. Right, right. Modern. Right. But, uh, yeah, right, my well, next one's the 1950s. So, yeah. yeah. Well, what I was going to say is that if, you, but historical obviously is going to go back anyway. You probably could be looking at, in your case, you're interested in Regency period and so on. And women's role in the world has changed a lot, and it certainly wasn't they their their ability to influence things was either behind the curtains or there maybe they were maybe they were heads of state. But so the interesting dynamic of telling their story that maybe didn't get wouldn't have been told until mm. it wouldn't have seemed as important is that part of the the draw for you 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think fiction really does a great job of that because there are so many women. Catherine Dior was an example. I wrote about her in Sisters of the Resistance, uh, which was about World War II French resistance uh, fighters. And and uh, Catherine, there, there has been a nonfiction book about her, but the comment was that there wasn't enough Catherine in it. And the wow. reason there wasn't enough Catherine in it was because nobody wrote about her and right. she didn't speak about her experiences. So really you can only imagine yeah. what a lot of what her story was. She she worked with the resistance. She was uh, arrested, tortured, sent to Ravensbrück and miraculously survived. She was on one of the last trains out of Paris that went to to the German camps before the Allies invaded. So she wow. was incredibly unlucky but managed to survive and then there's very little about her that's written. So right. this is when fiction comes to the fore. You can you can flesh that out and imagine what what would have happened. So yeah. uh, that's what I did in Sisters of the Resistance. Well, you know what? You're filling in. It's necessary. It's necessary. Everyone has a story to tell, and a lot of stories didn't get told, so good on you. Royal <laughs> Windsor Secret. Oh, it's good reading, people. It's very good <laughs> reading. You're not going to put it down. All right. So congratulations. I don't even need to ask. I know you got another book you're cranking on right now, You've probably even as we're talking. So I got a question for you. Uh, I want you to put your thinking hat on. Now, this is this is not just about writing itself, but just life. But if writing has taught you anything about being a person, about being alive, about being on the planet, what has it taught you? Oh, what has it taught me? Uh, I think writing teaches you empathy. Uh, you really have to get into the shoes of those characters and even characters like Marguerite, who really is a terrible person. <laughs> I could find a way to be empathetic towards her because sure. she had a really tough life and yeah. she was a survivor and that's why she behaved as she did. So uh, I think, you know, um, actually medical students here were having to undergo, uh, to, to take creative writing courses to try to get them to be more empathetic. Good. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I don't think it succeeded. Oh, well, I, think, I think the I, program was scrapped, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, definitely empathy. Man, can never you cannot have too much empathy, I don't think. <laughs> I think it's impossible. Christine, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Oh, it's been delightful. Thanks very much, Bill. Little empathy. Little empathy can go a long way, and I and she, I think she's right. I think it does teach us that. Whether you write fiction or not, believe it or not, whether you write fiction or not, yeah. I want to thank my producer R.J. Jeffries. Thank you, my friend. To all of you out there, thanks for listening. Until next time, you know, look into your heart. What do you love? What do you love? Go find a way to enjoy it. Find a way to do it. Find a way to express it and share it. That's just that's as good as it gets right there. See you next week.